This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. At some point in the dim distant past, people went into business solely to make a dollar. They made a widget for a dollar, sold it for two dollars, and were happy for the profit. Then things started to get more complicated. Today there are a thousand reasons to start a business, a million things you need to know to run a business, and it's not uncommon to hear entrepreneurs say, you know, I'm not in it for the money. Although there are many reasons to be in business other than making money, from personal fulfillment to building a better world, at some level, we have to be in it for the money or we wouldn't be in business at all. Today on Out to Lunch, we're going back to basics, back to the most fundamental element of business, money. Suzanne Metier knows a thing or two about money. She's on the board of the Federal Reserve. Suzanne is the managing principal of 30 North Investments, an investment advisory firm that focuses on long-term investing for individuals and businesses. Suzanne, welcome out to lunch. Welcome. Marianne Van Meter is the founder and managing director of Legacy Capital. Uh, Legacy Capital provides investment and banking services to businesses. Uh, Marianne focuses on mergers and acquisitions and other specialized business services. Uh, Marianne, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Now, I, I just have to make a quick disclaimer. Uh, Suzanne, when we invited you to be a guest on Out to Lunch, we weren't aware that by the time the data rolled around, 30 North Investments would be one of our sponsors. Uh, I need to make it clear the two things aren't connected. We make the show, sales guys make sales, and there's a hard line of separation between uh, content and cash. But talking of cash, uh, Suzanne, <laughs> you're on the board of the Federal Reserve. The Fed is broken up into districts that you're on the board of the 6th District, which controls Alabama, Florida, Georgia, parts of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. The official government line is that you regulate monetary policy, supervise and regulate banks, and the operation of a nationwide payment system. But what does that actually translate in for you? What do you actually do for the Fed? Yes, well, act I'm actually on the New Orleans branch okay. board, which is part of the Atlanta, the 6th District. So do you advise the president of the Atlanta? Fed? Well, indirectly, and, and from time to time, I'm actually in Atlanta doing that. But uh, our role at the branch level is to gather information about what's going on in the local economies and uh, answer some of the questions that the economists have with the Fed. And it's a very grassroots way to find out what's happening on the ground. And so we accumulate that information and we feed it up to their economists. Um, they engage in a dialogue with us. It's kind of—it's always interesting to find out uh, what they're seeing 
out and about around the country. And uh, that's one of our primary roles, and to also let them know or give them our thoughts about what is happening f from the point of view of monetary policy. Now, you would actually both be in the kind of position they're looking for, the people that are talking to business people all the time. I mean, that's what, that's what you kind of, would kind of bring to the table. I think that makes, yes. that makes sense, because they're kind of in their, I don't know, Ivory Tower, I don't know what they, what they are, <laughs> but they are, it's good to have boots on the ground. And Marianne, as I was saying in the uh, opening of the show, people go into business for many reasons. You can have a successful business without necessarily being good at business, as sometimes businesses are successful despite the seeming ineptitude of the people running the show. Uh, that's where business advisors and financial consultants come in. Uh, when does a business typically call on you? Uh, when are you... Uh, is it when they're doing well, or is it when they need to be doing better, or when they're doing okay and uh, see the potential is greater than the skills they have uh, to realize it? Uh, w w is it a lot of different spots? Well, it's, it's all of the above, but what we're doing for business owners is providing liquidity. We almost exclusively work with uh, closely held businesses, so it's an entrepreneur, it's a family, and uh, they've decided for whatever reason that maybe today or maybe in 10 years or 20 years that they want to have an exit. And so we'll work with them. Sometimes it's, it's for 10 years before we actually represent them in a sale. Um, most often, if they're really ready to go, and ready means a lot of things, but um, we can get a transaction done in four to six months. But it's tip, more typical with our clientele that they're coming in and we have to say, you're not ready. I know you'd like to do this, but there's some things you need to fix, there's some things you need to change before we could get you a good price in a sale, or maybe even get a sale done at all. Now, a lot of these are, uh, we think, kind of family businesses, which would add a whole other dimension of you know, finance, accounting, and psychiatry, I would think. Exactly, uh, is, uh, exactly, yeah. yes, there's a lot of that. And even, you know, regardless of who the owners are, a closely held business, there's a lot of emotion in letting it go and generally our clients have never worked in a big corporate setting where you've got the board and you've got the public's, publicly traded stock and a lot of, call it bureaucracy from, from their point of view. Things are usually leaner in a closely held company and the owners get to make a lot of decisions on the fly and don't have to go through budget processes. A lot of them have never made a budget. What are the options they have? I mean, they could sell to a a competitor, I guess, they could um, they could go public, they could, what else? Typically, most of the ones that come to us, um, a sale to a strategic or a private, private equity, strategic buyers, private equity, either one, or, um, or sometimes we work with them in making transitions and figuring out how to get the stock to management or to um, their children. Um, whatever, but it's a transition. It's getting liquidity for the owner in a sale of some sort. And taking care of the heirs and uh, you know, it's a lot, of, yes. a lot of things to think about here. I, um, Suzanne, if you, uh, you do have you know, the feet on the ground and all that and you're talking mm -hmm. to those people, what are the, in the next three or four years, what, do you, what worries you the most about the economy? When I mean, people talk about, uh, oh, the, the rising um, debt levels or income inequality or is there something that just grabs you? Well, I think that we're still challenged with reference to employment and the jobs that exist. And even when people are employed, they may not be employed 
at the same levels that they were beforehand. And I think that... It's uh, what they call the underemployed, I guess. Yes. Uh, they may be even doing the same job, but not actually earning as much money as they used to. Or they're working part-time when they'd really love to be working full-time. And so I think that we're still very much in transition on the employment side. And if there were one thing that were concerning to me as an investor, it's uh, where that all plays out and how long it's going to get how long it's going to take because once people are employed then they have more money to spend and the whole economy really gets going so it's not to anyone's advantage um, to to have this this sort of issue floating around within the jobs market wow and and clients um, you know they went through so much uh, in 2000 the <laughs> internet bubble and then the financial meltdown in 0809 I find people are still pretty hesitant to get back into stocks, even though we've had the best rally since World War II. Are people warming up? Or? Well, I think it's slow. Uh, there are still are people that with the least little uh, uh, hiccup in the market get very nervous again. It was very traumatic what everyone went through in 2008. And yet we all know that if you stayed the course and if you didn't uh, have an emotional reaction or knee-jerk it too much, that that was the wiser course which is a lot what we do in our business, is try to take uh, uh, a more rational approach and to try to explain and keep our clients understanding that um, behavioral finance uh, or the, the behaviors that they undertake can really have an influence on their financial picture because most people make the wrong decision at the wrong time. And uh, we try to keep them well-informed about the reasons why reacting to the latest news is not a good uh, thing to do. So you try to get them in this long-term mindset. Yes. Personal biases only serve to undermine investment performance on an individual's portfolio, in an individual's portfolio. So you've got to save them from themselves? Well, in Sometimes. some ways, yes, because instinctively people, there are a whole list of things that people do that work against them and they don't realize it. They think that's the right thing to do and in fact it's not. Uh, Marion, I was going to ask you about, I see so many local companies that uh, have the next generation kind of lined up and such, but um, uh, when does it work and when doesn't it work? I mean, is it, um, it uh, are there just certain structures in a family that make... Uh, that uh, make that, that next generation want to be in the business? or well, It's easier to talk about <coughs> what I've seen does work than to try to figure out what doesn't. <laughs> okay. But the, the companies that I've worked with that made really successful transitions to the second generation um, did it, had some certain rules. And the, the, the parents, usually it was a husband and wife working together okay, in the in the business and they they had rules um, and I'll give you some names that you might know of that were just fabulously successful in making this transition was um, the Hotard family that owned sure, the uh, Hotard coaches and, yeah. yes and there were eight children both parents were very involved in starting that business um, all eight children worked there but um, the, the, it was you had to work or you don't get paid. They weren't handing out dividends and allowances. They were plowing money back yeah. into building the business. And if you worked there, you, you could get paid. And they, so they all worked. And when they brought, some of their spouses came in and they all worked. Um, I'll t another family, the Legasse family that did, um, they had a wholesale janitorial service. Yeah. 
And they grew that tremendously. And that's another story of a, a client that came to me and it took 10 years before we sold it. Because when he first came to me, the dad came and said, you know, I want to get liquidity. Now I want my children to have choices. And not all, once again, I think it was eight of them. Not all of them want to work in the company. And um, some of them are getting to the point where they've got little children and they want to be able to not work full time, whatever, had all these reasons. They had division of labor, again. Everyone took a role and worked hard at the role. There were no spouses allowed, which can really? often, wow. be, often be a key to success. Um, I won't say it's not, sometimes it works the other way yep. where, you know, it's, a, it's an in-law that really makes a difference. But if you've got that many siblings, if you keep the in-laws out of it, then things tend to run more smoothly. Make a great bumper sticker, keep the in-laws yeah. out. We should think of your role as, uh, uh, you might be selling them at the end, but you're doing all kinds of uh, consulting with them before yeah, that period what, comes. What I tell them is, when they first come to me, that the things that we advise them to do um, are going to make them a better company, a more saleable company, but it's also gonna make them more able to pass on to the children or to the employees, that, or go public. Those, all the things that you do to make the company more saleable also make it better for other things, or even just to own it. It's gonna run better. You know, the, the, if you keep, if you have things organized um, and do the right things, it, it's going to be a more pleasant place to, to work for you, too. Um, let me uh, ask you another couple of questions now. Why don't we start here? What was your first job? Mine? Yeah. Oh, I was, uh, my first job um, after college. And you was, were in school where you were? I went to LSU. Okay. And my first job was with Arthur Anderson and Company. I, my first career was as a CPA for, and I spent about 20 years uh, doing that kind of work with a specialization in taxes and estate planning. Did you run a lemonade stand before that, or? Uh, actually, I um, I was a lifeguard. I mean, if you're oh if oh, you're yeah, asking yeah. about my yes. my first job as a kid, so I was a lifeguard. <laughs> really, both of you were lifeguards. What does that what? say? I don't know, but <laughs> I love the sun and the water. I did not save a life. You didn't. I, I, I did not. Did you save, save a several life. lives? I uh, I remember you from the movie Jaws. I uh, <laughs> there's a. <laughs> you grew up in Iowa. Centerville, Iowa. There we go. Mm -hmm. You could not be an ocean lifeguard in Iowa. That no, was a just the pool, city pools, just a summer job. <laughs> we didn't even have an indoor pool. Now, what brought you to the um, what brought you to New Orleans? True love. Yes, that's. Yes. Isn't that usually my, what does my it? My husband was born and raised here. Went to Tulane undergrad, Tulane med school, and then he was doing his um, uh, surgery residency at UVA, and I was there for grad school for your MBA there. Yes. 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 Wow. So, so that's what we should do in marketing this city to business is just <laughs> yeah. really push the love thing. Exactly. That's, uh, that would be, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Now we're going to go to the inbox, one of my favorite okay. parts of the show where our producer picks a question that's come in over the past week. Uh, Grant, what have you got? We have two questions, one for each of our guests. Both of these came through to us on Facebook this week. This one for you, uh, Suzanne, from Kathleen Rani Binden, who asks, I'm sure what a lot of people are asking you, do you believe the economy is recovering sufficiently for the Federal Reserve to initiate policy changes. Oh, yeah. oh goodness. Um, I think that the economy is certainly improving. I think it's going to be a very slow process. And uh, 
I think that uh, Ms. Yellen probably said it all recently. You know, I mean, I think tapering will continue, and I think at some point interest rates will increase. The question is when, and I think it's more of an art than a science in determining when that starts. But um, I think we are seeing progress around the country. I just think it's slow progress, much slower than uh, previous shocks to the, to the system. This one has been a very slow recovery. And a little bit lumpy, I guess, too. It's it, a, is. it is. It is. Marianne, here's a question about family finance for you from Elizabeth Just Real Broussard, who asks, my son is 15. He wants to start working already and start saving money for his future. What are some steps he can take to becoming financially smart and avoid common adult mistakes when it comes to money? It's a parenting question. Yes. Um, <laughs> interesting. Well, um, I would say give him his, uh, you know, a debit card and a credit card and let him make some mistakes, um, you know, with a limit, of course. But I think that there's a lot to be said for 15, in my opinion, is a little old to be starting children to have financial responsibility. Um, you oh, know, we put the journal in the crib. Yeah, that was, uh, we were yeah. much, much quicker. But, yeah. uh. I mean, my, my children had, had uh, credit cards by the time they were 12. And it was a, a, a weekly thing. I mean, I'm checking them every single day. And I'm, you know, I'm still checking them. But it's things like, why did you make that choice? And making, getting, teaching them to think, teaching them to, to think about making choices. And then they'll come in, they'll say, well, I, I, still today, I want to buy this. What do you think, mom? And we talk about how much does it cost and what else could you buy? And what are your choices? Making, it's making decisions, I think, that's important, not any particular stock pick. <laughs> That's, that's, that's very true. There's a, what, I'm going to ask both of you this. I mean, what do you think, you're, you really do have your feet on the ground here. What do you think about the business community in New Orleans in this area, post-Katrina versus pre-Katrina? Do you see changes in the way business is done? Well, I see a lot more young business. There yeah. are all these little startups, and I know that, you know that there's been a lot to encourage that. Um, the larger, a lot of the larger corporates or even closely held companies that were, you know, doing business in Houston and New Orleans, a lot of them went to Houston. Um, so I, I've done as much business in Houston as in New Orleans since I Katrina. saw your little stand on I-10. I thought that was interesting. Business. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's that corridor. But, yeah. but, but a lot of other things have happened. I mean, Katrina is just one thing that affected our economy. Um, the, the BP oil spill affected our economy. Oh yeah, for a while hugely. it seemed like we were living in the Old Testament here. This was, uh, this yeah. was one disaster There's after the other. There have been other things happening. The, the, the worldwide economy, and you know, we're, we've got, we're a port city. Um, so I have a lot of clients who are in uh, maritime, transportation, logistics, and the, what's happening in the rest of the world, and you know, exchange rates, and the right. balance of trade, and certain things coming and going, steel coming in or not. All of those things affect us. So Katrina, I don't know. To me, once after we got about past the one-year mark, it's hard to say what was Katrina and what was one of these other factors, in right. my opinion. And Susan, what are I, you telling your friends in Atlanta at the Fed about 
the Louisiana economy? What do you tell them? Well, the reality is around the region. Louisiana is one of the, uh, we're in a pocket of success right now, and we are actually having fewer problems. We've been quicker to rebound. We, we have some really good things going on here that Atlanta in Florida may not be, uh, Georgia in Florida may not be seeing at the same level. So um, we have been somewhat insulated. We've had some really good things happening here. And, Are they uh, luck or do we do the right things? I think, I think it's, uh, we did the right things in reaction to some misfortune. And I'm really proud of our community because of that. I think Katrina, you know, if you, if you set aside the, the risk of uh, protection, hurricane protection and all of that, and you just look at the fact that the consequence to that is people thought through it was that they found ways to be more creative and more innovative and to protect themselves uh, in a different way, even within their businesses. And so I think that some of the business improvement, I mean, it really opened a lot of eyes to how they could do things differently. When you end up with a little bit more of a clean slate to start from, uh, it's amazing what creativity comes into play. And then the whole uh, influx of young adults who are looking to make their careers here has really um, ramped up the economy here, I think, if not in reality. We can all see it happening. It we feels different. It, it, yeah. it feels completely different. And so um, I really feel that our community especially have, uh, we've, res we've been dealt some bad cards of late and we have uh, reacted to that in a tremendous way, a very positive way. Well, I'm glad we handled our cards correctly. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Suzanne Metier, uh, Marianne Van Meter. We probably live in the one of the most non-materialistic cities in the country. But at the end of the day, as much as we all love Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, and the other 363 reasons to party, um, to one degree or another, we need money. And it's good to know that while most of us are out doing what we're doing, someone is looking after the shop and taking care of the money. Uh, this has been an illuminating conversation. And... Um, Thank you both for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Suzanne Medier from 30 North Investments and Marianne Van Meter from Legacy Capital. To find out more about Suzanne and Marianne's excellent adventures in finance, uh, follow the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merrill. The ever-illuminating Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast, and you can keep up with past shows, and you can also keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you next week for Out to Lunch Around the Table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.